I have uh, had many, many a disagreement with aspiring authors who told me off because I explained to them that what they wanted to share is worse than the information that's for free on Google instantly. People don't like it when you tell them that, even if it's the truth. I can afford to tell the truth, fortunately. Hey, Joshua, welcome to the Business Line Podcast. How are you doing today, bud? Pretty dandy. Good to be here. Thanks. Excellent. Hey, I'm really excited to get to know you, get to know uh, the exciting things that you're doing in your professional and and also some things personally about you. I always am super interested in the person as well as the the, the professionals that uh, that come on our, our show here. So let's get right into it. Share a little bit about your story, how you got started and maybe not, not crazy, like not diapers started, but fast forward a little bit and you're, you're come, you're kind of coming of age and you, when did you figure out what you wanted to do with your life? The interesting thing about my journey is that I started with a dream that it takes a lot of people a long time to fulfill. You know how there will be things that you wish you wish you could do one day when you're a kid and okay, maybe I got to go, go to college. I'll spend, spend some time in that career. And then maybe when I'm, you know, 35 or 45 or maybe 50, like I'll, I'll finally be there. Right. Yeah. Well, we have learned because of the internet that that is no longer the case, that you can get to your end game extraordinarily quickly. And I'll give you an example of this, this, because this is my story. For as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a novelist. That was my lifelong goal that one day when I'm much older, obviously, I'm going to have novels and I'm going to be doing in book signings and I'll be taking fan, uh, maybe taking selfies with uh, with fans back when back when it was flip phones. Right. So the selfie would be off center and blurry because your finger was over the uh, <laughs> over the sure over the lens, unfortunately. Well, fast forward live with this dream. I'm 20 years old. I get a two book deal. And I'm 21 and I'm living the dream at that age. And I thought, well, I guess, I guess this is the rest of life then. Now, of course, of course it's through word processing software, the internet, internet marketing, yeah. all these things that can rapidly accelerate any dream that you want to come true. That's, that's the reality now. It wasn't that way for most people. So while I'm out marketing my book, something interesting happens. Two of my readers, both of whom are over the age of 60, find my book. I said, Joshua, I've wanted to write a book longer than you've even been alive. Can you help me out here? You can see the generational and technological differences uh, already, right? Back when a book was, when older generations were growing up, a book was this very special sacred thing that only the select few would ever be able to write, much less find a publishing deal for. The internet has changed all of that, of course. And I thought, oh, gee, I'd like to help these people out. And so that's how I went from being a novelist to being a ghostwriter. And I've ghostwritten... 87 books since then. Uh, most people hear that and they try to run the numbers and they find out that I'm 32 years old and they say, well, obviously this guy's lying. He's making this up. It's not possible to be that good. He must be a fake. And without irony and not as a joke, my own nonfiction book penned under my own name is called So Good They Call You a Fake. And it's about how to become the best at what you do such that people think you're faking it. That's crazy, you know. It's it's, but that happens a lot, right? When you come to a point where you you've you've uh, you've got some mastery under your belt and you're doing things uh, at such a high uh, quality level and efficiency level, people will start to believe there's no way that that happens. And now, as you talk about technologically, things can things can just they can be put on scale even faster, whether to become how fast you master something or how fast you can get that content created out. So. So you had a dream to be a novelist. You had to have been reading a lot. My best friend growing up, similar type of dream, but he read 
just fervently constantly i remember his his favorite his favorite writer when we were like in middle and high school was dean Koontz, and he just read all these books um were you a big reader growing up is that kind of what got you into wanting to be a novelist Yes, I was homeschooled. And when you're homeschooled, it's a bit of a choose your own adventure. Obviously, Mm -hmm. there are the essentials that kind of the state requires that every parent uh, have their child go through. But in home education, it's a bit like classical education, where you can allow your interests to guide you as the, the young learner. And for me, that was reading the entire Encyclopedia Americana, for one was you have quite a bit of nonfiction foundational information there, which has come in handy because there's there's no industry I can't ghostwrite right in because I already have, at a bare minimum, the entry-level facts about how to understand that industry. Uh, but that was a nonfiction. For, for fiction, I was regularly reading, think, the classic fantasy uh, novels. And then, and that, of course, was, 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 uh, was brought on by uh, the... Uh, the motion pictures of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, followed sure. by the Chronicles of Narnia series, and that was right when I was coming of age and and going from you know a kid to adolescent, and you're looking towards the future and thinking about well, what what could I do? And then the uh, the Indiana Jones sequel comes out, and then around that same time, there are other action adventure thriller films. And novels that come out, such as those by uh, Dan Brown, The Da Vinci Code, and Angels and mm. Demons, and whatnot. Uh, and there were that's that's when James Rollins, the adventure novelist, was going from kind of a a a a niche author to a bit more mainstream. And this interest in that type of both realistic, plausible world building that takes the nonfiction and then fictionalizes it to make it a little bit more interesting where you're weaving together these real things, real people, real places, but you're having uh, an exciting story take place in that world. That was the was the, the groundwork that was laid uh, when I went to writing my own novels. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You mentioned your your homeschooled. My son, uh, two of my two of my children right now. One of them is too young to be in school. Uh, my second to youngest, she's a kindergartner. I've got her in a in a private school just because she's a spitfire. And my my wife got her handful with my oldest two. But my oldest two, they're they're homeschooled right now. And my son is uh just he's a reader. He's just he's <laughs> he's um he's like a lot of I guess kids his age and older. He read. He went through all the Harry Potter books in record speed. I think it's just crazy. He couldn't put them down, and then he got. He was. He gets bummed when he finishes a series. And over the summer, we're we're we took a weekend and hung out. We went down to Milwaukee. It's about an hour from where we live, and spent the weekend together. And his favorite store is Barnes and Noble, so I took him to Barnes and Noble, and we're looking for something new to read. And he came across this uh, series called uh, Wings of Fire. And it's about like these, you know, it's a, it's a fictional about dragons that like talk and they have their own adventures and stuff like that. And I think there's 15 or 16 books right now, as well as some graphic novels. He just plowed through them all. And he's, he's rereading. It's like, it just, he's one of those, it's similar to you, similar to my, my, my best friend growing up, just, he can get a hold of a story and just go through it so quickly, but it's also got his imagination going. Did you do a lot of creative writing or anything like that when you were young? Yes, through there, there was a particular curriculum that we used called the Institute for Excellence in Writing. A fellow by the name of Andrew Pudua taught the fundamentals of how to relay both information and relay stories. 
And this is the fundamentals of how do you communicate with the written word. And so when you have that foundational skill, you can then build on that with, with, and you can iterate from that into different genres, different types of writing. And early in my writing career, in addition to ghostwriting books, I found myself compelled to write sales letters, sales copy, sales pages for companies, which are in effect stories about a, a product that have to be structured in a, in a certain way. And many of them have been very successful, uh, sold six figures worth, multiple six figures worth, even seven figures worth of product in a single launch for clients of mine, um, simply because of the story that we told made it a must have, not a mm -hmm. nice to have type of a product. And that sort of emotional arousal that you can create in a prospect, when you map that onto a book, you then create motivation for the reader, that internal drive to do what the nonfiction author suggests inside of their book and therefore get the results, therefore word of mouth market the book so that it's more successful. And then that person wants to enter into the ecosystem of the author's business and buy their workshops, other courses, one-on-one -on -one coaching materials. If there's an app or software, then they want to subscribe to it. You see, it can have innumerable benefits to writing an emotionally compelling book. When it comes to the folks that you're ghostwriting for, what do you, what type of personality do you find most often uh, that you're connect with, connecting with and, and working with? Yes. So it's usually not a writer by experience. It's someone who has had great success in their industry. For example, they're a, a software company founder or they're a management consulting who has their own private firm or they're an attorney. But what they all have in common is they desire the benefits of having a book because when you have a book, you have literally written the book on your subject matter, on your industry. And the tangible and indirect value of being the author on the subject matter is significant. It's significant because, for example, for, let's say, getting leads, qualified leads, you simply send them a copy of your book. Mm -hmm. And that does all of the objection handling and the pricing of your services, the pet positioning of your services and the demonstration of your credibility. And therefore, you're now a cut above and a half beyond any competition. Even if you're not one of the biggest firms in that space, you wrote the book for, let's say, companies that that generate customers, like let's say a SaaS company. What they will often do is they will market the book as a way of generating new subscribers, new users for their app. Still others like the consultants or the business coaches, they will send the book ahead to conferences and organizational groups where they want to speak at. So in terms of the personality, it's people who know they need to raise their profile, but they've tried, let's say, maybe they tried some advertising, a little bit of PR, they've tried some internet marketing stuff, but there hasn't been the thing that has worked out the most. And they're frustrated because they know they can have a greater impact on the world if they could just get the word out about their business, about their expertise, about the value of what they do. And it turns out a book is the best way to do that but they're not writers by trade or training. They're the expert in their thing. So they bring in the outside expert to help. So they're kind of like the, the manager or even the CEO of their book, you might say, as the author. What do you find the, uh, the, the, the biggest obstacle is to overcome when you're working with somebody? Yes, so it's a Venn diagram, two circles. The one circle is everything the author wants to say, think they should say, it's important to them, their stories and experiences. And then the other circle in this Venn diagram is 
what readers are willing to pay for in your book, <laughs> what they actually want to read and hear. With a lot of authors, those circles are pretty far apart. Sometimes there's <laughs> a little overlap, sometimes there's a bigger overlap, but finding that overlap of what you know that readers assign value to also knowing finding that is the is the uh, is the tricky part and that's why authors will often bring in a third party expert to help them find it because as industry insiders we have the pulse of readership we know what they're looking for we know what readers are buying we know what they want more of what they want less of and that's the value of the outside expertise is we're we're unbiased uh on that subject matter because we know what people are willing to buy and if you know what people are willing to buy well then you just sell it to them problem solved yeah or is it because then you have your ego the bigger your ego, the fewer book sales you can expect. Oh wow, that's a oh I love that. That's a good, that's a good little uh, saying, and because it, it applies to a lot of things, right? The bigger your ego, the the more your business struggles. The bigger your ego, the the more your team disappears. There's a lot. Oh, that's good. Um, so what what is it that people right now want to read? Because a lot of people don't read. You know what I mean? They might read a headline. They might read a couple. Right? How do you get How do you get people to to invest the time into to getting through a book? The number one most common review on, let's say, how-to books. The how-to could be anywhere from how-to in business, how-to in software, how-to how to in psychology, for example. Just pick your how-to space. Mm -hmm. The number one most common piece of feedback that you'll see across negative reviews is, I felt so inspired reading this, but once I finished, I had no idea what to do. Ah. It was all what to do and not any how to do it. And then the author makes you go and then buy their $500 course to teach you the how that the book promised they were going to teach you. It was a bait and switch. This is by far the number one most common negative review on how to books is that right there. How do you solve that problem? Well, the reason people are buying those books is because they couldn't find the answer on Google. Thus, in order to have tangible value from your book, it must include ungoogleable information meaning your experiences, your insights that are far superior to what's on Google that you can find for free or asking chat GPT, uh, give me 10 ideas about X. And if your answer to the 10 ideas about X is the same, if worse than what chat GPT, chat GPT is going to give, you ought not be writing a book. There's, there's, there's no reason. You have no value to add. Remember I said about the ego? Mm -hmm. A lot of authors don't like to hear that. Uh, I, I have uh, had many, many a disagreement with aspiring authors who told me off because I explained to them that what they wanted to share is worse than the information that's for free on Google instantly. People don't like it when you tell them that, even if it's the truth. I can afford to tell the truth, fortunately. Yeah. Back to the book. The reason people are coming to your book is because they're looking for what they cannot find for free as a YouTube tutorial or from a blog post from an expert. They're looking for step-by-step -step with no steps skipped instructions. Mm -hmm. This is what I teach inside my book. Getting called a fake means you're so good at what you do, you have it down to a science that the results are predictable. Even semi-miraculous results, that's like no way you could accomplish that. You have a system for that genius. And the system is your step-by-step -step with no steps skipped. Every single thing you want to accomplish for your clients, for your market, for your readers can be broken down into a linear, chronological, or even a systematic approach to the way you do what you do. And so that's the first step before you write a book 
actually, is to document your system for your genius. You don't have a genius, then you shouldn't be writing a book. There, there's another step for you there. If you do, if you do have work that you do, if you do have an effective application, app, software, if you're able to help people, you probably have a system. Documenting it is the first thing. Later, you can get the results that are so good. Haters and envious competitors call you a fake, a fraud, a scam. And that, of course, attracts attention to you. And attention is influence. And now you have influence because you're just that good. You answered one of my next questions in your, you know, in your answer to my last questions. That, and you brought up AI. Like, you know, everybody's kind of playing this AI game and going on and creating books and ebooks and all this stuff on AI. But I think the, when you said... What you have to offer in your in in your book is something that ChatGPT or Google can't come up with in a quick search, and that that's a hundred percent true. It's because you have your own experiences, and if you play those out and you don't have anything to offer, you got to go back to the drawing board and master your craft in a way, right, where you actually have something that adds value to people in in book form. Exactly. So Joshua, I see a little bit that they're do that you are a certified hypnotist. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So in the same way that ghostwriting is really misunderstood, hypnosis is, is also misunderstood. Birds of a feather flock together after all. A lot of people think that ghostwriting is someone writes a book for someone else and then the someone else slaps their name on it and calls it a day. That's the vast minority of ghostwriting projects. It's more like interviewing an expert and that person's words, ideas, and stories become the book. And they're working on their book, not in their book. Think of ghostwriting that way. Hypnosis is similar. Hypnosis often via sensationalized depictions. Someone's on stage and there's someone who's has a pocket watch and there's this whole pendulum swinging and it's mystical, magical, a little bit of woo-woo sort of nonsense. Hypnosis is not like that. Clinical hypnosis is more like a guided visualization, a private meditation, a bit like talk therapy, but the hypnotist is the one who's doing the talking. And you as the client are in a super zoned out state. And the purpose of a hypnosis session is to speak directly to your subconscious mind to replace unhelpful beliefs, habits, behaviors with helpful ones to get you what you want in life in any area of life, whether it's confidence in your career or extroversion with the opposite sex, let's say, or it's sleeping better, losing weight, quitting smoking or drugs, for example. All of these are things that bring someone to a hypnotist, to childbirth, even pain relief, preparation for surgery, all sorts of things you could go to a hypnotist for and they might very well be able to help you. Now, those principles of subconscious persuasion, they map directly onto the written word. So I like to think of books and sales letters as self-hypnosis scripts, where you're helping the reader replace unhelpful beliefs with helpful ones. And in order to do that successfully, you have to understand how belief change works how giving someone what they need to believe in the order they need to believe it, that's how you like dominoes falling over one after the next. You can bring people from believing in doing something that's not good for them to something that is good for them. And 
hypnosis has not quite yet been applied for the benefit of society for all people at scale. We usually see principles of hypnosis applied for the detriment of society at a mass scale. To do what? To buy this product, to use this product, to put this product on you, to stick this product in you. Product, 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 product. And usually these things are done by companies and organizations and governments that have the absolute biggest budget so they can afford this. So one of the things that I do is I teach people about the effectiveness of hypnosis so that you can use it to your benefit because a lot of organizations, big budgeted ones, are using those principles to our detriment right now. Very cool. I wish technology wasn't screwing with us today because I'm, I've got a lot of questions and thoughts on on subconscious mind and stuff like that. Of, uh, it's a super interesting topic for me, but every time I start, start talking, it cuts out, so we can't get super deep into it. And I apologize for whatever's going on. But read a book years ago called The Ant and the Elephant, and that just kind of expanded uh, my understanding in a very parabolic way because it's written like a parable. And uh, I just, I, and I, I talk to my kids about it a lot and getting control of their subconscious and what's driving them to do things the way they do. And so I actually had my son read that book when he was 10 because it's written in a way that a young mind can can start to comprehend how things work in our minds. So he was really struggling with negative thoughts and stuff. So, but very cool. Maybe someday we can have you back on just to talk about that because I think I think you're onto something there and doing leveraging hypnosis in a way that can be that can have a huge positive impact in people's lives. And uh, gosh, thirty minutes went by really fast, Joshua. I think uh, um, you've got a lot to offer. You're doing a lot of fun things. I can't wait to see how. Uh, how you progress and how things keep going for you. Thanks a ton for coming on the show today, Joshua. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. 